0: Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. In our new series, Modern Parables, we're going to be taking Jesus' parables and transposing them into a modern setting. Each week, we will read a parable or narrative from Jesus' life in the Gospels, and then I will tell you a story. These stories will be fiction, just like those that Jesus told. The goal is for you to listen to the story and then draw meaning out of the story in the same way that Jesus expected his audience to draw meaning out of his parables. I hope you enjoy. Our scripture lesson today comes from Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 36. Scripture says, But I say to you that, listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. This is the word of the Lord. So today, we are continuing on with our sermon series, Modern Parables. And for those of you who haven't been here, I just want to help you understand what this series is all about. So each week, we're taking a parable that Jesus told or a narrative from Jesus' life. And then, what we do is, I tell you a story. Now, these stories are fictional, although they're based on real people and real events. I have changed some things around in order to fit the narrative or the parable from Jesus' life. And in doing this, throughout Lent, we're in the season of Lent now, we are looking at narratives from Jesus' life as found in Luke. And so, each week I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you a story today. I'm not going to give you any explanation as to what I want you to take away from that story. I'm simply going to tell you the story, and then hopefully by comparing that story to the Scripture, you're going to come away with what I'm trying to say, and hopefully you'll come to a deeper understanding of what this Scripture is all about. So today's story, it takes place in modern-day Iran, and it revolves around a 42-year-old women's rights activist named Asai Amini. Asai Amini, this is what she looks like. She is a real person. That is not made up. That is who she is. And Asai Amini, she had become famous as a women's rights activist in Iran because she was intervening in situations where women found themselves in very precarious legal situations. Now, on this particular day, Amini, she was on her way to the town of Nika, which is in Mazandaran. And on her way to this town, the reason why she was there is because she had heard that there was a woman who was 19 years old. Her name was Layla, who was going to be executed for committing adultery the next day. And this wasn't just any normal execution. She was going to be stoned to death. The magistrate had orders that he was to take Layla out the next morning and that the townspeople would come together and stone her to death. Now, Amini, her goal was to intervene in this, hopefully stop the process from moving forward and rescue Layla from the judicial system that had imprisoned her. You see, Amini, she had not always been a women's rights activist. Originally, she was a journalist. And being a journalist in Iran is not exactly the easiest thing to do. If you know anything about Iran, they do not exactly have the same constitutional guarantees to the free press that we have over here. In Iran, if you print anything negative or you have any criticisms of the government, well, the censors will come in and they will shut down your newspaper. Here in the United States, if you couldn't print anything negative about our political leaders, I don't think there would be anything to read. I mean, that's kind of just the way it goes over here. But Amini, she was really a trailblazer in her field, and when she got into being a journalist, it was in the 1990s, and she worked for the newspaper Iran, and that newspaper was pretty much a party line newspaper. They went by the book, and she did a very good job there, and she did so well that she was promoted to be the editor of the youth supplement. Now, that might not sound like that big of a deal, but it was a big deal. Because if you're an editor, that means she oversees 28 pages of content, which means that she has people coming to her, reporters, giving her stories. And these reporters happen to be men. And so she was supervising men, which is not the normal order of things in Iran. And these men, they resented the fact that they had to report directly to Amini and so they really disliked it and of course Amini is the kind of woman who really put her nose to the grindstone and she just kept going forward. She didn't really worry at all about what they were saying. Well eventually the youth supplement gets shut down by the censors. So she goes and she works for another newspaper and then another journal and then another journal and the reason why is because six months after she goes to these things all of them are getting shut down one after the other. And so eventually she says, well, you know what, it doesn't matter because do you know where most Iranians are reading their news? It happens to be on the internet now because the internet is harder for the government to police and you have a much wider audience. So she starts a blog that talks about women's rights issues in Iran. And in 2004, she receives a message from one of her followers. And this message says that in the city of Iraq, which is southwest of Tehran, which is the capital of Iran, that this woman had heard that a young lady had been executed by means of stoning in the city of Iraq for violating laws against chastity. Now, laws against chastity are purity laws that are found in the Quran that require a woman to remain chaste until she is married to a man. There are similar laws found in the Old Testament. So let's read one of those laws that's in the Old Testament. It goes like this. If the charge is true concerning her chastity, then they shall bring the young woman out to the entrance of her father's house, and the men of her town shall stone her to death because she committed a disgraceful act in Israel. Deuteronomy 22, 20-21. That's in our Bibles, what's in your pew right there. Now, there's a similar type of law found in the Quran. And Amini, when she first heard about this, she thought to herself, well, they must have their information wrong, because those laws, they exist in other places in the Middle East, but not here in Iran. We don't do things like that. So she drove out to the city of Iraq, and she ended up finding this family. And she said, so what happened? Explain it to me. And her family said, well, our daughter was engaged to be married to this young man, and and he had questions about her integrity. And so he went to a judge along with a friend of his. And they testified before the judge that she had been unfaithful. And so the judge, he issued a sentence of death by stoning. And when this family came and protested, they said, you can't do that. He said that it was do- he was doing it because that is a remedy that is prescribed by Quranic law. So, Amini, she's taken aback by this, because Amini has been friends with women, She's, she's known lots of women through her time as a reporter, and never in all of that time has she heard of any woman being faced with such dire consequences for committing adultery. That just didn't happen in Iran. Now, you have to understand why this is the case, why Amini thought this way. So, let's look at this map of Iran. So, Iran as you can see, is a fairly large country. And in the north of Iran, that is actually where they do most of their farming. That's where most of the farmers are. And in the north, that happens to be a fairly liberal part of Iran. And this is particularly true when it comes to women's rights. So in the north of Iran, women, they're allowed to own land. In the north of Iran, women can have political power. Amini's own grandmother was a person who had great political sway in her town, in her community. Women were also allowed to hike up their pants, and they could roll up their sleeves. They didn't have to be fully covered. So being a woman in the North, it was something that could allow you to get a skewed understanding of the rest of Iran. And, and this type of living, it actually inhabited it, and it kind of got into the way that these people looked at their religion. Amini is a Muslim but she never considered herself to be particularly religious. So it's kind of like a Christian. You say, oh yeah, I'm Christian, but you don't really know that much about the Bible, right? You know bits and pieces here and there. So you're Christian, but you're not really that into it, right? Well, it's the same thing with Amini's family. Amini's family, they're Muslim, but they never really studied the Quran with any kind of depth. And so Amini, she was really kind of shocked to discover that laws, like the one we read from Deuteronomy, exist in the Quran. Because she had lived in Iran her entire life. And, of course, the entire law, the court system of Iran, is based around Quranic law. And she had never been subjected to any of these punishments for her behaviors, and so she wondered, why is it that some women in Iran are being subjected to such a strict interpretation of the Quran, while others are free to do as they pleased. And it came down to two factors, she discovered. The first is where you live. And the second is your economic circumstances. So the court system in Iran is similar to that of the U.S., which is that if you go to court, right, here in the U.S., what happens? They're going to come in there, and they're going to base your case on the laws that have come from the higher courts, right? That's how it works. Same thing in Iran, no different. There is a chief justice who says, this is how you're supposed to interpret the law. When it came to these laws against chastity, in 2002, the Chief Justice said that under no circumstances should a woman be stoned for violating laws against chastity. Made that illegal, can't do it. But Amini found that there were some judges who were actually following through with this. There were some judges who decided, well, I don't really care about that. And when she interviewed them, they said, well, I don't care what any official in Tehran says, All I care about is what Allah is going to think, and therefore I'm following the law as found in the Qur'an. And this was hard for her, because ultimately she realized that these judges, when she interviewed them, they were located in these isolated areas, they were out of the way, and so there was no real oversight, and B, the people who were coming through their courtroom, They had no money, so they couldn't afford lawyers, and because they couldn't afford lawyers, ultimately they couldn't have a fair trial, and so these judges were free to do as they pleased without any consequences. So Amini, she decided that her enemy in this particular fight was going to not be the Quran, but rather it was going to be these hardline judges who were imposing these very strict sentences on women. You have to understand it would be like us sitting here and saying, okay, so we just read that verse from the Bible, right? Would we just throw the whole Bible out because that verse exists inside of it? Maybe you would. I don't know. Would you throw it out? Oh, interesting. Okay, good to know. Okay, so we can keep the Bibles in the pew for now? Okay, good. All right, so because that verse exists inside of it, we would say, well, if you're going to interpret the verse that way and you're actually going to follow it out, your interpretation is wrong. We wouldn't get rid of the whole book because of that one verse. The same is true with the Quran. You wouldn't just get rid of the whole book because of the one verse, it's the interpretation that matters. And so here, there is a two-pronged approach she decides to take. The first prong is is that she's gonna highlight with her words and journalism, every miscarriage of justice she can find where a woman is mistreated by the court. She's gonna bring it to light. The second thing that she's gonna do, is she's gonna have a form of non-violent intervention in these cases. And she took this strategy from Martin Luther King, Jr., something that he did during the Civil Rights Movement. Now, she had read a book by Martin Luther King, Jr., where he talked about his tactic of using nonviolent intervention. Now, if you know anything about Martin Luther King, Jr., you know that he was an ardent pacifist. He he said, if you're gonna be part of my movement, you have to be nonviolent, which is a really tall order when people are insulting you with racial slurs and they're coming at you and they're trying to hurt you, what is our normal reaction in that situation? We're gonna what? Fight back. So he realized this, and so what he would do is, King, he put his people in a room, and they'd stand in the center of this room, they'd come in, and basically, his friends would come together and they would hurl racial slurs at them, and they'd hit them on the back of the head, and hit them on the legs, and because they wanted to work out that instinct of you fighting back so that it became second nature to simply be still in the midst of that. The second thing that Amini took from King is the defining of the enemy. Who is your enemy? And King was very clear about this. His enemy was not white people. He said that. He said, if you're gonna be part of my movement, you cannot be in this because you hate white people because that type of thinking, it only reinforces the cycle of violence. For him, he said, our enemy is the mentality of racial prejudice. It's that mentality that we are fighting against, the mentality of racism. If you can root out racism, then the society changes. That's what he believed. Because it was the mentality of racism that was causing whites to look upon blacks as being inferior. And this concept, it bled into everything that they did. You all know about segregation, but what you may not know is that this was preached in churches. That pastors would get up here and talk about the Bible trying to justify the behaviors that they were engaging in in the South. Let me give you a good example of this. Cain and Abel. Do you all know that story? Okay, very simple story, right? You know what it is. What happens? Cain kills his brother Abel. Story's done, right? Not quite. So, Cain kills Abel. God says, okay, now that you've killed Abel, I'm going to send you out into the world. And when he sends him out into the world, right, before he does so, he places a mark on Cain. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what this mark is. But southern preachers would say that the mark of Cain was anybody who had dark skin. That that was the mark of Cain. And so, if you met anybody who was not white, that meant that that person came from Cain's line. And that meant that that person was cursed and that meant that it was okay to treat African Americans as subhuman. It meant that you you could subjugate them, and it meant that treating them violently was okay because that was God's will. Now, Amini, she saw a very similar parallel in her situation. She believed that it was the mentality of these judges who saw women as subhuman second-class citizens, and that if you root out these judges with this mentality... If you can get rid of them, where they're using the Quran to justify violence against women, then you can solve this problem. And the way she was going to do this was with another thing that King did, which is he really believed that you have to love those who are trying to hurt you. This was so important to him. Now, if you're a Cubs fan, you can learn from this. So just follow me on this for a second. Okay? So, you love those who are trying to hurt you. So what happens? You love them, Right? And then, by loving them, you force them to see a glimpse of your humanity. And when they see a little bit of your humanity, you change their perspective. And when you change their perspective, you change their actions. That's how it works. That's why loving your neighbor makes a difference. Or loving your enemy, excuse me, makes your difference. So, we come back to the story. Amini, she is driving down the road to Nika in Mazandaran. Remember that, that's where we were. She's going to try to intervene on Layla's behalf. And while she's going, she's thumbing through Martin Luther King Jr.'s book, and <clears throat> Stride Toward Freedom. She's looking through it to try to get some inspiration on what she's gonna do when she gets to this place. So, she comes in to the city of Nica, and she finds a passerby, and she says, can you direct me to the women's prison? Now, men and women, they're in different prisons, just like here in the United States. Except the only difference is is that women can only oversee women in Iran, and men can only oversee men. So, she finds the prison, she finds the head guard, and she says, I have a form that I need Layla to sign. Now, the head guard thought that Amini was Layla's lawyer. So, she takes Amini to Layla's cell. Now, one thing she has heard about Layla through her network is that Layla, because of intense trauma and abuse, only has the mind of an 8-year-old. That's how far she progressed in her mental age. And so when she gets in the cell, she gets down next to her, and she starts whispering in her ear the way you would whisper to an 8-year-old. She says, I am your sister. I am here to help you. Your situation is not good. You have to trust me. I am going to help you. And she kept saying this over and over again. And eventually, Layla trusted her. And so, because Layla didn't know how to write, she took ink and she put it all over her hand and she had her stamp the form. Now, the guard is sitting there listening to this all go on and she realizes eventually that Amini is not her lawyer, gets her up, tosses her out of the prison, but Amini has what she needs. It's a lawyer's retainer form. Now, this isn't gonna change the outcome of the case. She can't halt the legal proceedings with this, but it'll get her in front of the judge. That's the important thing. So, she goes down to the courthouse, She goes inside, and this judge, he's just deciding another case. He's coming off the bench, and she says, wait, I need to talk to you. So she runs up to the judge and hands him the form. She looks at the form, and he says, it doesn't matter, this case has already been decided. Hands the form back to her, and begins walking to his office. And Amini, she's walking behind him, and she says, look, I'm not trying to dispute with you that this case has already been decided. I simply would like to talk to you about how you came to your conclusions about the case. And this judge, he, he looks at Amini, and eventually, at first, he's like, I don't think I'm going to invite this woman inside, but then he changes his mind. He says, okay, fine, come in. So they come in, they sit down together, and he says, there's really not that much to talk about. She committed adultery. I simply gave the remedy that was prescribed by the Quran, which is that she would be stoned to death. And And Amini sits there and says, well, I think that's a very honorable thing that you did, that you would follow what the Quran says. But you have to understand that this woman is not like you and I. She does not have the mind of an adult where she can make informed decisions. Don't you think, given the circumstances of this particular case, that Allah would be more pleased with a lesser sentence? Maybe lashes, or if you really want to be rid of her, why don't you have her Come with me. I would be happy to have her live with myself and my husband. We live far away from here, and you'd never have to see her again. And the judge, he was unmoved by this. And he says, Her mental state does not compensate for what she did. When you commit adultery, it is very simple. You're going to be stoned to death. And if I let her go, then that would weigh heavily on my conscience. And Meany, at this point, she changes the line of questioning. And She says, do you have a daughter? And he says, nods his head, says yes. And she says, well, okay, do you love your daughter? He says, of course I do. She said, well, what if you found your daughter in the same position that Layla was in? What would you do? And he thinks about this for a second, and he says, just because she's my daughter doesn't mean that she can go and do whatever she wants. If she made the same mistake as Layla and committed adultery, she would have to suffer the consequences. And I mean, he says... But given that she's your daughter and that you love her, wouldn't you want her to be shown mercy? I mean, isn't that what love is all about? Second chances? And the judge, he thinks on this for a second, and he says, what I want and what God wants are two different things. My decision stands. And this conversation is over. So Amini, she gets up. As soon as she's outside of the office, she's on the phone to her friends, this network of friends. And the next morning... A whole group of men and women, they come to the town of Neka. And once they're in town, this group, by the way, they've all been trained in the nonviolent resistance, the same kind of nonviolent resistance that King used with his people during the Civil Rights Movement. And Layla, she's being led out by the magistrate at this point to the center of town, to a hole. Now, if you don't know how stoning works, what happens is there is a hole dug in the ground, and you are buried up to your neck so that you cannot move. And then, that is when people will take stones and throw them at your head. And so, Layla was being let out, and Amini and her group, they're standing around the hole, they're facing outward, and their hands are clasped together. And then, in the background, two of Amini's friends are filming this with cell phones. Now, the judge comes up with some police, and the judge knows that it's being filmed. And he doesn't want the thing to go online and go viral. So he goes up to Amini and he says, what do you want? And Amini says, I want Layla to come home with me. And he looks at her and he says, that's not going to happen. You have no right to be here in our community. You have no right to interfere with what we're doing here. And Layla looks him straight in the eye and says, in Surah 49.10 of the Quran, it says that humanity is but one brotherhood. So make peace with your brethren. And so she says, make peace with Layla. Let her come with us. Sometimes the greatest form of justice is showing love and mercy to those who have made mistakes. And this just made the judge super angry. And he looked at Layla. He looked at Amini and their group that was around the hole. And he knew that the entire town was behind them. The entire townspeople was right there. And so, he thinks about it for a second, and he knows that if he turns around and he lets Layla go, that he's going to look weak. And that the reason why the townspeople fear him is because of how strict and rigid he is as a judge. And so, he turns around to the townspeople, he looks at them, And when he turns around, he has the intention of saying, under no circumstances will this woman be let go. She will be executed one way or another today. But when he turns around, he sees in the crowd at the very front his wife and his daughter. And his daughter is looking on at this whole scene, and she has fear in her eyes. She looks horrified at what's about to happen to Layla. And so he's looking at his daughter, and he thinks back on what Amini said to him that if your daughter was in the same situation, would you not want her to be shown mercy? And so the judge, in looking at his daughter, he said something that he didn't expect to say. He says, today justice will be found through forgiveness. Take her and leave before I change my mind. And so Amini, she grabs Layla, the whole group, they get in their cars as fast as they can and they take off down the road and there's dust everywhere And they're burning it away from there. And Amini, she looks in the rearview mirror. And as the dust begins to clear, she can see off to the side this judge who is looking down, staring at the ground. And he looks defeated. And as the dust begins to clear a little bit more, she realizes that actually he's not looking at the ground because he looks defeated. But she can see now that his daughter is grasping on to his leg and looking up at him with eyes of love. Amini did go home with Layla that day. And Layla lives, this is true, Layla lives with Amini and her husband and her children to this day. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Prez family of faith.